Welcome to the Battlefield Baptist Church Podcast. We are so glad you joined us and pray that this message is a blessing to you today. This week, Pastor spoke on the topic of worship. Join us in Matthew 15, 1-3. If you look with me in Scripture this morning in Matthew chapter 15, we're going to start here, but we're going to make our way around this morning. And I want to talk to you about a subject that You know, I think a lot of people, uh, they believe they know about it, but let's see if we really know about it, and it's the topic of worship this morning, and what does that look like for us? And so look at Matthew chapter 15, and I just want to look at the first three verses, the first three verses. The Bible says, Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the traditions of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the gift of song that we've heard. And God, for the opportunity to worship you through the giving back of those resources which you have blessed us with. God, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you through reading your word. And God, I pray that as we listen to your word today, God, that we will truly be worshiping you and that we are truly grateful for you and thankful for what you've done in our lives. God, I pray that if there's someone today here that is maybe checking out your church for the very first time, or maybe they've been around church all their life, but God, they've never entered into a relationship with you through your son, Jesus. God, I pray that today that the scales of unbelief would fall away and that they might understand for the very first time that great love that you had for them when you sent your son, Jesus, into this world. God, to conquer sin and death and hell and to give us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you will have your will and your way as always and God, that you'll speak to hearts. And God, that as we walk away from your house today, we'll be different, we'll be changed, we'll be a little bit more like your son Jesus. God, we give you the praise, we give you the thanks for all the things that you'll do, and we ask it in his precious name and for his sake, amen and amen. Today, as I talk to you about worship, I'm reminded of just this this passage, and and I'll be honest with you, I was going to read more in the passage, but I, I felt led really just to stop here at verse number three. So let's draw our attention back to it because this is a powerful message that we can find even as we begin right here in Matthew chapter 15. In verse number one, the Bible says, Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples, they're saying, Why do your students, why do your followers transgress the traditions of elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, I love that about Jesus. A lot of times when there was conflict, when people were coming to our Lord, they would ask him questions and he would immediately turn around and ask a question. Do you know, I love the fact that when I was in Bible college, I was taking uh, the life of Christ. And one of the things I realized about the life of Christ was he taught a lot by asking questions. He asked so many questions. He, he, certainly he shared parables, and, which was a story thrown right along, a truth thrown uh, right alongside of a story. And, and he taught in many methods. But one of the greatest methods that I think we can see in Scripture is that Jesus, he was always teaching people by asking questions. And so he turns it right around on the scribes and Pharisees again. And notice in verse number 3 it says, But he answered and said unto them, Why do you? He says, Why do you transgress? The commandment of God by your traditions. And so what you and I see as we look at this passage, we see two transgressions that are being mentioned right away. The first one is the fact that the disciples are being accused of transgressing traditions. I want you to remember that word, traditions. And then Jesus says by their traditions that the scribes and Pharisees were guilty of transgressing the commandment of God. And so the immediate takeaway for you and for me is that we must make a choice. We must make a choice in our life every day. Either we're going to allow the word of God to rule in our lives or we're going to 
allow the traditions of men to rule in our lives. And over the years, it's, it's been interesting for me since I was not in ministry all my life. I guess I could say I was in ministry as a blood-bought child of God, but I was not in full-time ministry. It's been interesting to me that as I made the transition from uh, retired military to Bible college into full-time service and then back here to Virginia and now ultimately serving as a pastor of a local New Testament Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church, it's been interesting to me to see that the world has a lot to say about worship. In fact, there's so many contradictory forms of worship, and I use that, for, that word lightly, uh, going around, that I think the problem is, in many churches, they've, they've lost what worship really is. I mean, we've lost it. And, and listen, I, I can tell you, I like all types of music. Muzaks. I like all types of music. I like hymns. I like contemporary songs. I like praise and worship songs. I like simple songs. But I like them if they bring honor and if they bring glory to God. If I can't recognize the lyrics or I can't hear the lyrics, it doesn't really bring much honor to me or my ears, and I'm sure it doesn't bring much honor to God. And so we have to be careful about our forms of musacs that we adapt and, and, and use. But we also have to be careful about the other forms of what we say is worship. And so I want us to look at this topic. By the way, some traditions, I, I want to make sure you understand, some traditions are okay uh, as, as long as they don't run counter to the Word of God. But as believers, God's Word... I really believe this. As a believer, God's word should actually guide my worship. Let me say that, maybe to this side. I had a few over there. God's word should actually, God's word should actually direct my worship. The only way I, guys, the only way we know God in a real personal way is through his word. Certainly we can go out here in the creation declares the Godhead, the power of the Godhead. We can see through the beauty of God's creation, his handiwork. The heavens declare the glory of God. We know that. But to know God on an intimate level, we have been left with his word. And so if we're going to worship God, we must be doing it according to his word. But sadly, some people, I believe, are convinced that their ways are better than God's ways. In verse 6, drop down, we didn't read it, but in verse 6 of Matthew chapter 15, notice what Jesus says to the scribes and Pharisees. He says, you have made the commandment of God none effect by your traditions. He says, you have made God's word of no effect because of your traditions. You're replacing what God says with what you say, and that's a problem. And then look down in verse number 9. Look at verse number 9. He then alludes to the fact that they were teaching, and here's what's really, which is really very uh, important for us to notice. He says, you guys are actually teaching doctrines, okay? Doctrines, by the way, when we see the word doctrines, it's a reference to what is right. That's why it's important that we know doctrine, because doctrine tells us what is right. He says, you're teaching doctrines... You're teaching what is right as the commandments of men. So what you've done, he's saying, he says, you're replacing God's word with what you say. There's a problem when we start listening to what man says or what I say or what we say as opposed to what God says. And the problem with that is it actually affects our worship. Because if we start listening to what man says, then we're going to worship according to to man's thoughts and not God's thoughts. And so notice here, I'll not spend a lot of time, but if you will, throw up um, for me uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16, verse 16. Notice what the Bible says. It reminds us of the importance of God's word. Remember I said God's word ought to actually direct us in how we worship God. Notice what this verse says. It says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now, why? Because verse 17, and I didn't ask him to put that up, but verse 17 tells us that the man of God may be perfect or throughly furnished unto all good works. That word throughly means completely. It means that we might be completely furnished, that we might be completely equipped. You say, well, where do you get that? Have you ever gone to a, um, 
uh, 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 a hotel. When you get to a hotel, most of the hotels are completely furnished. You don't have to take your bed. They already have a bed for you. They have a shower. They have a sink. They have all the necessities of a bedroom for you. It's completely furnished. In fact, they actually sell homes now. Now the big thing is you can actually go into some places of the world in different regions and buy condominiums and and apartments and beachfront properties. How do I know this? Because I've seen it on TV, you know? Isn't that the truth? I mean, if it's on TV, it's got to be true, right? (laughs) And so we go to these places, and you can get these places that are completely furnished. For the believer, God's Word is what equips us. God's word what is what allows us to be completely furnished or ready to live a life that is pleasing to our God. And, and I would just say, if you notice in that verse again, the word doctrine, I said it means what is right. The word reproof in, verse, uh, in, in that verse means what is not right. It says the word of God is profitable for doctrine, to teach you what is right, for reproof, to teach you what is not right, for uh, correction, to teach you how to get right, someone said, in, in correction, and then for instruction in righteousness, not only to teach you how to get right, but instruction in righteousness is to teach you and I how to stay right. And so the word of God is really important. Like I said, we'll not stay there. But the scribes and Pharisees, they were not teaching what thus saith the Lord. You see, they were teaching what thus saith tradition. What thus saith me. You remember the Pharisee when he prayed? He says, I'm thankful God that I'm not as this man is. You know, they were all puffed up about their traditions, about their regulations, their requirements, their, their religious acts, if you please. But that's not worship. That's not really worship. And so we must be careful because my worship and your worship is not based on anything. I, I can tell you my worship's not based on anything I'm comfortable with. See, to worship God in spirit and truth sometimes may not be comfortable. My worship is not based on what tradition says. But my worship is based on what God says through his word. I like what A.W. Tozer said one time. He said, worship is the missing jewel in the church today. And we ought to be searching for this missing jewel until we find it once again. When we think about it, worship is ultimately a priority which every one of us were created for. In Mark chapter 12, notice what the Bible says. It says here, Jesus says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, and with all of thy soul, and with all of thy mind, and with all of thy strength. And he says, this is the first commandment. I can tell you, and I've said this before, because our theme since I became pastor is that we ought to be loving God, we ought to be loving his word, and we ought to be loving people. When we love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, you're going to be worshiping God. I'm not going to have to ask you to worship God. Nobody's going to have to call you to worship God. Nobody's going to have to remind you in the morning when the buzzer goes off on your phone that today is a day of the Lord and we ought to worship him. No, when we're loving God that way, man, worship will become a priority in our lives. Worship is an ultimate priority that we were created for. I think about the Old Testament. Even with the Old Testament uh, uh, laws, worship was a pattern in the Old Testament, and in the New Testament, we see that the Apostle Paul, he tells all the churches over and over and over again that worship is a practice. It ought to be something that we are doing all the time. Worship is to be our primary responsibility. Everything we do ought to be done to bring honor and glory to God. In fact, worship is the prerequisite for effective service. In fact, a lot of times people are looking for a quote that I can give them. Here's the quote of the day. I just told you that worship should be the prerequisite for our service. And so here's my quote. I just wrote it down this morning. We will never be effective in our service for God until we make worship a priority. You can sign up for all the carnival helping you want. You can sign up for the Bible studies you want. You can sign up for all the different opportunities to serve, whether it be upward basketball. By the way, I didn't even mention that. We need your help with that this week. You can sign up for all of these things, but you will never 
be the servant you ought to be or that I ought to be until worship becomes a priority. You see, because when we worship God, that's going to lead us to want to serve God. It's not the other way around. I think sometimes we get it backwards. We say, hey, man, I want you to serve God. Come on, come on, come on, serve God, serve God, serve God. And that's great. I'm all for that, getting people involved with teamwork and being a part of the Lord's army and team. But there's a danger in that also. The danger is that if we put service, service, service before anything else, it's not going to be too long before you're not serving God, you're not serving anybody You'll be off the heap somewhere doing something else. And so we got to make sure that worship is a priority. Smile, everybody, because this is a positive message. It's not a message to beat you down. It's a positive message. You guys need a little energy this morning. Listen, do you remember when Satan was tempting our Lord? I put it in your bulletin. If you have a bulletin, look right there in your bulletin. Satan was tempting our Lord out in the wilderness. And in Luke chapter 4, verse 7, he says, If thou therefore wilt worship me, All shall be thine. Satan says, I'm going to give it all to you, Lord, if you'll just worship me. But notice what our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ said. It says that he answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Listen, in other words, in other words, he was telling Satan, You need to worship him, and you need to serve him. I know that thou art fallen, O Lucifer. I know that your methods, I know that you're a roaring lion walking about seeking whom whom you may devour. But you need to actually get right and worship God, and then when you start worshiping him, you need to serve him too. That's what the Lord was saying. Our worship is to be... A priority. It's supposed to be the prerequisite before we actually serve. And our worship is the passion of our God. I think about John chapter 4. Jesus tells the woman at the well in John chapter 4, verse 23. Notice, he tells the woman at the well, he says, But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. But notice what he says at the end of the verse. He says, For the Father is seeking He's seeking those who will worship him that way. Do you know I believe the Father is still seeking worshipers. He's still seeking men and women and boys and girls who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Listen, what are we saying when we talk about or discuss worship? What is proper worship? Well, I think before we can actually start to understand what is proper worship, we we need to understand what worship is not. What type of worship does God not accept? Well, the first one, if you're taking notes, I would tell you that God does not accept ignorant worship. You say, oh man, that's so harsh. Why do you use the word ignorant? Well, because the Bible does. I didn't write the Bible, guys. The Bible talks about ignorant worship and God does not accept ignorant worship. In John chapter four, I was just telling you about this story, Jesus with the Samaritan woman there. And he was telling her, that uh, the Father was looking for true worshipers in, uh, in verse 23. But in the verse right before that, he tells the woman, he says, you worship, you know not what. He says, you don't even know what you're worshiping. He says, you need to worship the Father. You need to worship God in spirit and truth. And in Acts chapter 17, this is the Apostle Paul at Mars Hill and The Bible is saying in in verse number 22 and 23, it says, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens. He says, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, he said, I was going by and I heard what you were saying. He says, as I beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. He says, whom therefore, what does it say? You ignorantly worship him. He says, him declare I unto you. He says, listen, he says, that was ignorant. He says, you're worshiping something that you don't even know about. He says, you have no clue. Uh, you're worshiping this unknown God, this, this statue to an unknown God. And he says, so let me tell you about him. He says, I'm going to tell you about him. Guys, I've got great news for you today. God has not called us to ignorantly worship. He has revealed himself 
to you and to me by his son, Jesus Christ. We can know God the Father by knowing Jesus the Son. When Jesus told his disciples that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man cometh to the Father but by him, Philip then asked him about how can we know the way? And then Philip talks uh, and asks another question. He says, how can we know the Father? And Jesus says, if you have known me, you have known the Father. He says, if you know me, you know the Father. Folks, if we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we got it all. We got it all. We can worship him in spirit and truth. We don't need to worship him ignorantly. Listen, he wants us, God wants us through Jesus Christ to know him and to worship him. And I just put this down. If we do not know Jesus, we cannot know God. And if we do not know God, there's no way that we can worship him. You can talk a lot about Jesus. You can... You can, there are a lot of people who pontificate about Jesus, a lot of people who think they know a lot about Jesus, but until you enter into a relationship, until you say, Lord, I need you to forgive me. Lord, I need you to change me from the inside out. Lord, I need you to take control of my life. Until you have that type of relationship with him, it's going to be very difficult to worship him on a regular basis. It just is. Worshiping God, as I said in our Bible study hour, we were talking about something else. But worshiping God is more than just a feeling. Have you ever seen a person who they'll tell you, and listen, I'm not against raising your hand. I'm not against standing up and shouting praise the Lord, Wesley. Amen? Amen. All right, thank you. I'm I'm not opposed to that. But you know what? Worship is not this. I know that won't translate on the recording, but you'll get the picture. That's, that's, listen, if the Spirit moves you to do all that, and it's the Spirit moving you, then praise the Lord. But if you're just doing that to be seen and heard of men, shame on you. That ain't worship. And you know what? God says, I don't accept ignorant worship. I'm not going to listen to that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be a part of that. Listen, it's more than just experiencing some type of emotion when we worship God. Listen, other dangers are found not only in ignorant worship, but improper worship. Improper worship. There are many illustrations in the Old Testament. Do me a favor, turn to Romans chapter 1, because I think the best illustration is in Romans chapter 1. And guys, I haven't given you all this. I'm just going to take a little bit of a walk here and let people see some things. Because in Romans chapter 1, we see some improper worship going on. If you have your Bible, look down at verse number 18. I know I'm going to get to verse 25, but look down at verse number 18. Because the Bible says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. Then in verse 20, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds, and to four-footed beasts, and to creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through their lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves." who changed the truth, notice this, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. And if you drop down to verse 28, the Bible reminds us that God gave them over to a reprobate mind. Listen, God is not going to accept improper worship and while I'm here, he's not gonna accept uh, idolatrous worship. You see, because that's what was going on here. They were worshiping the creature more than the creator. They were worshiping the thing more than the creator. And we have to be very careful of that ourselves. Because, yes, this is the day that the Lord hath made, and it is a beautiful day outside, and I'm like you, I'm ready to get out there and enjoy it. But we better be careful that we're not worshiping the beauty of his creation 
so much that we forget the creator. Anybody ever done that? Oh, look at God's handiwork. Let's make sure that we're worshiping God and not the handiwork. You get where I, you, are you picking up what I'm laying down? Because it's very easy to get our focus off of God and onto something or idol. By the way, the definition of an idol is an image or representation of a God, little g, used as an object of worship. Some would say this, that an idol is something you worship instead of God. And it could be anything which is true, but it's more than just that. I put down this. An idol is uh, anything that we use to try and worship the true God, i.e. statues, jewelry, artwork, any article. That can become an idol. Uh, I'm sure, in fact, there may be ladies here wearing a cross pendant. You know, let's make sure we don't honor the cross pendant more than it needs to be honored. We need to honor the one who gave his life on the cross. You know, uh, this isn't a message about body art. But sometimes we get body art and we're worshiping the picture instead of the Savior. Uh, Statues. Anybody ever had a statue? Or you remember when I was a kid, I don't even know if they sell these anymore. I don't even know, maybe in the Bible bookstore, they used to have the picture of Jesus. You ever, anybody got the picture of Jesus? I got one, I got one. In fact, there was a little light box. Have you ever seen those light boxes? There's a little light box that you used to plug in and it had a picture of Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane on it. I have that light box, don't I? It was handed down to me, all right? And, and we light the light box, but let's make sure that we're not worshiping the artifact. We ought to be worshiping the creator. Oh, it's a beautiful day, absolutely. But man, there's a problem with idolatrous worship. In Exodus chapter 20, and I know nobody likes to go back to the book of Exodus. It's, it's, a, it's a rarely uh, visited place in the Bible anymore. But in Exodus chapter 20, notice what the Bible says in verse 4 and 5. It says, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. Verse five, thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. I remember Moses when he went up to receive and retrieve God's word. You remember what happened? All the people, they start telling Aaron. They, they, the Bible says the people began to play, by the way. And then, and then they go to Aaron and they say, hey, let's build this golden calf so that we'll have something to worship God by. And you remember what they did? They melted um, uh, their earrings, they melted their jewelry, and they built this golden calf. Uh, can I tell you, not good? Without going into the rest of the story, if you don't know the rest of the story, Deuteronomy, actually chapter 4, reveals the, the problems with that, with the little uh, uh, golden calf experiment. And the reality is of that story, thousands, thousands upon thousands who said that they needed to have something that they could see, something that they could feel, something that they could touch, thousands upon thousands died for their idolatrous worship. They were worshiping something that had been created. Their idea was, hey, let's create this so that we can worship God. What I'm saying to you and what God is saying is you don't need a golden calf. I am the Lord thy God. I created the heavens and the earth. I'm the same God who said, let us make man in our image. God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We have enough to worship. We don't need to create a golden calf. We don't need to bow down to some statue. We don't need those things because we have the very God of very God that we can worship. Listen, we must be careful not to place anything between us and our Lord. And it's so easy to get sidetracked into worshiping something that was never meant to be worshiped. We must become cautious. We must be cautious. The last one that I think that we see in Scripture is inferior worship. So we have this uh, ignorant worship, improper worship, staying with the eyes, the idolatrous worship, and then this idea of inferior worship. I think about uh, Malachi. In Malachi chapter 1, 
he, he comes and he's writing to the Jews after their exile in Babylon. And he's writing to them about how their worship had become mundane. And really, it was in a state of disrepair in Malachi chapter 1. I'd encourage you to read it. It's difficult to understand, but I would encourage you to ask the Lord to give you wisdom there. He tells them, your worship, uh, he says, you guys who are in Jerusalem now, you're going through the motions. You're not really worshiping God the way that you should worship God. Listen, they were offering animals as sacrifices who wouldn't even be accepted by the government to pay their taxes. These animals were torn. They were not the best of the best. They were the leftovers, if you please. And Malachi was saying, listen, God does not want your leftovers. And by the way, he's not going to accept your leftovers. And for you and I, all we have to do is go back to the story of Cain and Abel with Cain's offering. God did not accept it. There was something wrong with the offering there. God said, no, you need to go back. You need to do right. Well, in this passage, Malachi's telling him, he's saying, listen, God deserves your best. He deserves the first fruits of your increase, not the worst. And so we, I put down here, when we worship God correctly, he's not only going to be getting the very best we have to offer, he'll get it all in every aspect of our life. We, he's going to get the best of our gifts, he's going to get the best of our time, he's going to get the best of our abilities, and he's going to get the best of our resources. But I'm afraid that many Christians, we've gotten to the place where God gets our leftovers. And God says, no, that's not what I deserve. That is not what I deserve. And so we must be careful of inferior worship. The truth is this, our worship should never be done to please our wives. Now stay with me here. Worship should never be done to please our wives. So husbands, if you're here this morning because you simply want to please your wife, I want to tell you, I want to encourage you. Be here for the right reason. Wives, I want to encourage you. Your worship should never be done to please your husband or to lead your kids. I'm worshiping just so my kids get right. The kids are going to be able to see if you're really worshiping God or not. My children know when I really wanted to worship God and when I really didn't want to worship God. They are smarter than you give them credit for. The way that you were able to discern things with mom and dad is the same way they're able to discern things. They'll see right through the lie. They'll see right through the facade. And so worship is pretty important. I also say this, worship should never be done to please the pastor. I want you to be here to worship. I have often dreamed of a day, I, I'll be honest with you, maybe one day we'll do this. I'm not much for round to it Sundays or things like that because I just feel like people ought to want to worship God. I've dreamed of a day and I've told my wife this, maybe we'll have everyone show up Sunday. I dream of a day when everybody who says they're a part of Battlefield Baptist Church would all show up on the same day so that we could worship together. So that we don't worship thinking about, where are the Joneses? Wonder what's going on with them. I haven't seen them in two months. Wonder what's going on with the Smiths. And by the way, you know I'm using uh, names that are pretty commonly coined. The Smiths, the Taylors, the Jones. Sorry, Taylors, all right. <laughs> Sorry, Taylor family. God bless you for being here today. You know, we always ask, where is this family? Where is this family? Man, I dream of a day. If I were to go down the rolls, there's a 65 to 100 person swing every given Sunday. By the way, Battlefield's not the only one that has that happening. Every church up and down this road in this area, it's happening all over our country. And we wonder why. We wonder why we're getting ready to basically have no choice in who we're voting for. Don't get me started on that. <laughs> Guys, it's important. Worship is important. Do you not think that if we were truly on our knees and worshiping God in spirit and truth the way that he desires, the way that we ought to, that he would not continue to uh, bless the way he's always blessed? Certainly we're still a blessed people. I'm not saying that we're not a blessed people, but man, the sign of the times is all around. <laughs> and it ain't looking good. But you know what? My Lord is still on the throne. 
And so, like David said in our lesson, I will trust in thee. The time that I'm afraid or the time that I'm fearful, I will trust in thee, God. I have no problem. I'm going to keep on trusting you. I will praise your word. I will, Lord, I will praise your word. Oh, that's what David said. Listen, our worship should never be done to please the pastor, the church staff, or even our Bible study leaders. Our worship should be offered completely to please the Lord our God who sent his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's who our worship should be done for. I put down here an illustration. If we really believe that we were going to see and hear from Jesus this morning, If you woke up this morning and you really believed that you were going to see and hear from Jesus, or maybe every time you came to his house you said, I'm going to hear and see from Jesus today, I just have to believe that it would affect my preparation. I just have to believe that it would affect my attitude. I just have to believe that it would affect my level of participation. And I have to believe it would affect my willingness to offer myself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. Because Paul says it's my reasonable service. Yes, it's been said that wrong worship is worse than no worship at all. So what type of worship does God accept? I give you three things quickly and I close. Number one, God accepts worship that is given through our obedience to God. He accepts worship that's given in obedience to our God. In Psalm 29, verse 2, the Bible says, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of of holiness. In Psalm 95, and you don't have to turn there, but Psalm 95, let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him in, with psalms. That's Psalm 95, verse 2. In verse 6 of the same passage, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Move over to Psalm 96 in verse 4, 6, 8, and 9. The Bible says, For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. And that fear is an idea of reverence, reverencing God. In verse 6, honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Verse 8, give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Verse 9, oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear or reverence before him all the earth. Listen, God has not given me an option. He has not said, Greg, you have the option of worshiping me today. And it's not just a message for Sundays. The option is not there for me to worship or not worship on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. He says, worship me. Worship me today. The commands and principles concerning our worship are everywhere. And I like to tell people and remind people, it's a privilege to worship the Lord. Did you get it? It's a privilege to worship the Lord. But if you're a Christian, it's a responsibility. It's a privilege and it's a responsibility. We worship God when we walk in obedience. As we read the Bible, I love this. When I look at Scripture, I can clearly see that our Lord and our great God is to be praised. He's to be loved. He's to be glorified. He's to be exalted. He's to be rejoiced and thanked over and over and over again. I don't know about you, but one of these days I'm going to check out. And it may be soon and very soon. I will check out and cross over into eternity. I don't know about you, but I get excited knowing that my Lord has already conquered that thing called death. I get excited knowing that I don't have to go to a place called hell. I get excited knowing that I don't have to be like uh, uh, the rich man in the story of rich man and Lazarus who was down in hell and the smoke of his torment, the Bible says, ascended up forever and ever and ever and he had rest day nor night. I'm glad that I don't have to experience that. That should drive my worship and it ought to drive your worship. That thankfulness, that gratitude, that attitude of gratitude. When we gather for worship, our priorities should never be, and this is a problem I see in a lot of churches, our priorities should never be what we are going to get, but what are we going to give to God? A lot of people come to church, what are you going to give me? I'll come to your church as long as you give me what I want you to give me. As long as you say what I want you to say. As long as you do what I want you to do. Guys, I got news for you. I'm made out of the same stuff as you. There is only one who is worthy of our worship. And his name is Jesus. It ain't Greg Corcoran. It ain't me. It ain't ain't anybody else that stands behind the pulpit. The one who is worthy of our worship is Jesus Christ. Man, we ought to, we ought to, 
it, it it ought to color everything we think, everything we say, everything that we do. This, this idea of worship is, is so critical. God also, he not only accepts worship that is done in obedience to God, but he also accepts worship that is done when we humbly submit to God. Worship, by the way, I probably should have shared this with you at the outset. Worship actually means worth-ship. Worship equals worth-ship. And so when we honor and give back to God, what we are saying is, you are worthy. Thou art worthy, O Lord. Thou art worthy. In fact, turn with me to Revelation chapter 4. As we're about to wrap this thing up. Look at Revelation chapter 4. Man, this ought to encourage you. See, to honor and give back worth to God, to reverently bow before Him, to recognize and celebrate who God is, that's what worship is all about. Notice what Revelation chapter 4 says. And just bear with me, because I'm going to read this. Look at verse number 1. This is John. He's getting a glimpse of the glories of heaven. This is an amazing passage. Notice what he says. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. I'll let you figure out who that one is. And he that sat was, uh, and he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the image proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion and the second beast like a calf and the third beast had a face as a man. And the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts which had each of them six wings about him and they were full of eyes within and they rest not day and night saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, then notice what happens. The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. That That should cause us to worship God. That should cause us to submit to God. Folks, that's reality. That ain't, that's not Hallmark Channel. That's not some Harlequin romance story. That's God of very God that they're talking about. The beasts worshiping God. The four and twenty elders worshiping God. And one day, the redeemed, us as believers, those that are clothed in the white robes of the redeemed, we will stand around the throne of God and we will worship him. And listen, if that don't excite you, I'm guessing you're probably in the wrong place today because it excites me. Everybody who's called out upon the name of the Lord, it ought to be exciting. And since you and I stand on this side of the cross, since I stand on this side of the cross, our worship should be a celebration, not some somber salutation. I go into some churches, holy Holy, holy, Lord God Almighty. No excitement. You know what's even worse? In fact, let me, let me just say this. Jesus Christ, he actually died for us. He not only died for us, he's forgiven us. He's given us the Holy Spirit to live within us. He's spoken and left his word for us so that we can know him and follow him, become disciples of him. And he has blessed us beyond all measure. The Bible says he's blessed us with all spiritual blessings. 
And so when we gather for corporate worship, we gather to celebrate. We don't gather as, as some kind of a mourning service where we're coming to mourn. We're coming to celebrate our Savior. Listen, daily submission to his word, to his will, and to his ways is how you and I worship him. Others should be able to tell that we're worshiping him every day of our life. God accepts worship that is done in obedience to him. He accepts worship that's done in humble submission to him. But God also accepts worship that is reflected in our whole life for him. He accepts our worship that's reflected in our whole life for him. I mentioned it earlier without even really realizing that I had jumped the, jumped the gun on it. But in Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul told that church, he said in verse number one and following, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And then he said, and be not conformed to this world, the traditions of men, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I think about in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, Paul says that our lives, which consequently have been bought with an extremely high price, he says that our bodies should be used to magnify God. And here in Romans chapter 12, he says that presenting our bodies, i.e. our lives, are living sacrifice. They should be a living sacrifice. That not only should it be a living sacrifice, they should be holy lives. They should be that which is acceptable unto God. And he says that's our reasonable service. By the way, in Romans chapter 12, the Greek word latria, the Greek word latria is used for that word service. And it basically means, are you ready for this? It means ministration of God. That is worship. He says, it's your reasonable worship. He says, presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. He's saying it's your reasonable worship to do this. It's reasonable to worship God in this way. That's what Paul was saying to the church. Listen, when we sing to the Lord our God, Jared, We are saying, Lord, we honor you, Lord, we worship you, and Lord, we love you. And for the life of me, if you're one of those guys, and I've been there, done that. By the way, we need more men in the choir. Let me just put that plug out there. (laughs) But some of you men need to work on this area of worshiping God through singing. Now listen, I'm not calling you out. I'm not going to come point you out and say, uh, brother, uh, notice you're not worshiping God through your voice. Do you know what I know? Some people say, well, I don't have a good voice. You know, there's people that don't even have a voice. God has blessed you with the ability to speak. He has blessed you with the ability to worship him. Oh, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Come into his presence with thanksgiving. Listen, Let's singing psalms and hymns and making melody in our heart. We ought to be using this to sing praises to him. Listen, I know a lot of people who probably have no business being in the choir, but they're in the choir. Not only at this church, but choirs all around the world. I remember Lil, lady was like my grandmother. Many of you remember Lil, Carl, bless her heart. That woman, and I love her. Don't you get me wrong, but that woman could not sing. She had no business singing on a CD or an album. But you know what? When she got in her car, every Sunday morning, she'd take me down to Calvary Road Baptist Church. That woman, as we're riding down through Pohick and Gunston Hall and that whole way, and we'd get over on Telegraph Road and cut back up to Franconia, she used to sing this song. Into my heart, into my heart, Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today, come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Can I tell you, as a five, six, seven, eight-year-old little boy, I remember hearing that woman sing that song. It was the God-awfulest sound I ever heard. I think I rejected Christ for five years because of it. (laughs) No. 
I was like, I don't want nothing to do with that, Lord. No, 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 I'm being facetious. Do you know? That left a mark on me. That left a mark on me. She didn't have a voice that was really meant for singing. But I stood by her side, and every time we opened up the hymn book, every time we sang a song, she would sing her heart out because she was worshiping her God. She was worshiping the one who gave his life for her. Listen, I think when we sing, we ought to do that. And here's another thing. When we are truly listening to the words that God's speaking. By the way, I'm not speaking today. These are God's words, not mine. If we will truly listen to God's words, you know what we're saying to him? We're saying, God, I hear you. God, not only do I hear you, I understand you. I'm going to do that. God, I'm going to start to put that into practice in my life. God, I want to reflect your word in my life because when I reflect your word in my life, I know that I will be worshiping you. I close with this. A.W. Tozer, he had another quote about worship that I like. He said this. He said, I can safely say on the authority of all that is revealed in the word of God that any man or woman on this earth who is bored and turned off by worship, he said, they're not ready for heaven. If you're bored with the idea of worship, you're not ready for heaven. And quite frankly, neither am I. If I get bored with worship, whether it be through the preaching of his word, through the worship of giving back to him, whether it be the worship of song, whether it be the worship of prayer, whether it be the worship of serving him, no matter what form of worship we are offering, if we get bored with that, if we think that's something that is boring or it turns us off, he said, and I believe it, he said, we're not ready for heaven. You remember I said at the beginning of the message that we had a choice. We're either going to be ruled by the word of God or we're going to be ruled by the traditions of men. I pray that you'll allow yourself to be ruled by the word of God. I pray that you'll start to get deeper into God's word and to allow his word to permeate every facet of your life. Do you know next Sunday I said we're going to have baptism? We worship God when we walk in obedience through our baptism. I want to challenge you. If you've not been baptized, do it next Sunday. Do it next Sunday. Say, you know what? I'm going to worship God. I'm going to do right to God because we worship Him when we walk in obedience. I'm going to actually go up there and I'm going to take my stand and I'll, and I'll get wet for Jesus. Do it. Do it. Please the Lord. It's not about pleasing me. It's not about pleasing a family member. It's about pleasing the Lord. Listen, He's given so much for you and I. Shouldn't we give him back? Thank you so much for listening. For more information about our ministry, please go to battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. See you next time.